Hey everyone, welcome to the Hunt for Real podcast. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. This episode is brought to you by Montana Decoy. From turkeys to antelope to elk to whitetails, Montana Decoy produces the most portable decoys on the market. And as we slide into the heart of the whitetail season, you're going to want to check out the deer rump decoy. I use this sucker a lot. I use it on public land a lot. I use it on my hanging hunts a lot. It's so portable. It measures only 16 by 8 inches folded up, so you can you can throw it in a day pack. It weighs only 32 ounces, and it comes with two realistic teaser tails. They attach to this decoy by magnets, and they give it a little bit of a 3D look, and they give it some movement. It's a perfect option if you're in the mobile hang and hunt crowd. Head on over to montanadecoy.com, and if you like what you see, if you want to buy a deer rump or an elk decoy or whatever, punch in the code HUNTFORREAL20 to get 20% off your purchase. This podcast is also brought to you by Wilderness Athlete and their entire lineup of products that are formulated to keep your body and mind running at peak levels. Whether you work out daily and you need Wilderness Athlete's daily strength supplement or their brute strength post-workout supplement, or you just need a high-performance multivitamin, maybe a complete probiotic, whatever, Wilderness Athlete has you covered. Check out wildernessathlete.com to see the whole list of high-quality offerings. And if something catches your eye, punch in the code HFR20 to get 20% off your first order. This is good for everything they sell except their packages, their dark timber products, or their Heather's Choice items. My guest today is an unconventional hunt for real guest, but absolute blast to have on. His name is Del Barber. He's a Canadian musician who also happens to be a bow hunter, a bird hunter, and he's lived a wild life touring around, uh, playing shows in Europe, playing shows in North America. He brings a really, really fascinating perspective to life and to hunting. I honestly felt like I got to talk to Dell for 10 hours and not scratch the surface on on what I really wanted to get to. Absolutely loved having this guy on. I think you're going to love it too. And as always, I know you can go out there and listen to a ton of hunting podcasts. There's so much competition out there. So that you choose this one means a lot to me and it means a lot to us here at Hunt For Real. So thank you for that. In one minute, everything can change and it can become the best hunt of your life. It's a reality. Really understanding the landscape, that's what kills big deer. Del Barber, welcome to the Hunt for Real podcast. Thanks for having me, Tony. You uh, you were just saying off air there that you want to make it clear that you are not a hunting expert. <laughs> and <laughs> that is that is not why you're on this podcast, and it's not why I'm on this podcast either. And so anybody who's listening to this who is, is, is here to find out exactly how to kill big bucks, this might not be the episode for you, but I am stoked to have you on, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I was... Um... I was pretty nervous when you asked. I do a lot of podcast interviews, a lot of interviews in general and with my career as a musician. Um, and I listen to a lot of hunting podcasts. But uh, when someone from an actual hunting podcast, someone that I respected, uh, asked me to be on their podcast, I was like, why in the hell would they want to have me uh, on their podcast? Like this is usually I have some sense of like uh, who I am in a conversation. And this is a little bit different and, and it's pretty exciting, but very few things in this world make me nervous. Uh, 
So congratulations. <laughs> well, you shouldn't be because there's only like nine people a week who listen to this. So don't worry about it. But I, I so you, you mentioned you're a musician. And so you, you reached out to me. I was recently on uh, Kenyon's podcast. I was on Wired to Hunt and you reached out. And so we've been we've been chatting back and forth. And you said uh, we, we were talking about getting nervous for different things. And you said you know, you, you kind of offhandedly said, I'm a musician or I'm a touring musician. And I, you know, people say that a lot. I'm like, okay, buddy, sure. You know, like yeah. you, you hear yeah. people say like, I could, I could claim to be a musician too. I've never been paid for it, but I play a lot of music. But then I went to, I was on YouTube because I'm on YouTube all the time listening to music when I'm working and when I'm taking care of the nice. girls. And so I put in Del Barber and I'm like, holy shit, this guy is legit. Uh, you, you actually are a career musician you're, you're not just claiming yeah. that to get chicks like it's it's true yeah 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 i uh i've been a musician full-time uh with a few side roads when things get slow uh for close to 15 years uh it like actually pays my mortgage um i'm not a famous musician uh but i do have a fan base and been nominated for all kinds of strange Canadian music awards, Canadian Grammys, stuff like that. Uh, I've had a lot of success. Um, uh, and the, the idea when you become a musician, you kind of think things are going to blow up or go a certain way. And there are moments in a career where that seems possible. Um, but when you start actually continually doing the work over years and years, you realize that there's a really great lifestyle attached to it if you do it right and you manage to, to stay free of some of those classic pitfalls yeah so does it stay i and i i'm will anybody listening we will get to hunting but i'm fascinated about this like i have when i lay in bed at night i feel like i'm just missing like a little bit of genetic material to have been an actual musician like i'm like ah like you want it you love playing guitar but you'll never ever ever get there and so when some when i talk to somebody like you i, I just i i geek out a little bit because i i kind of romanticize that lifestyle, but I know from doing what I do, which is not a conventional career choice either, people go, oh, you you live the best life ever. You hunt all the time. You get paid to hunt. And they have all these misconceptions about it. And so I'm sitting here doing that with mus music. I'm like, oh, you still you write music. And I'm not thinking about the the serious road time, which sucks, like the track, mm -hmm. just, just the huge travel commitments and then the rehearsals, the practice, <laughs> relying on other people. There, there's a lot to it that's not so fun, right? I'm sure that there's a lot of parallels to your life. Um, you, you, a few uh, months ago, you had Aaron from the hunting public on mm -hmm. and you kind of went there a little bit with him and you talked about how, uh, much of a grind it was to produce content and it's it's it takes a large group of people a lot of hours sitting on their computers and and basically what we see of them is is them up in trees chasing chasing animals around and and it it's hard not to want to sell the romance of that lifestyle and that's what uh, music relies on like this this concept that that we do live these incredible lives and we get to be in a different place every night. Um, but there are negatives to that life that, that, uh, that you have to deal with being away from your family. I got a two year old girl and I've had to be on the road before COVID started, uh, for the first year and a half of her life. And, uh, that was the biggest change and the, the biggest stretch, but it also renewed my passion for what I do. You know, um, there's always a way to see the positive of, of your lifestyle and there's a way to make it work. Uh, 
And um, I like that's why I sort of marvel at the sort of outdoor media. Uh, I consume a lot of it. Um, it's an escape for me, you know. And but I know there's so much more going on. There's politics. There's there's uh, product placement. There's all these things that. You know, it's the same with me. Companies ask me to rep their guitar brand or whatever. And uh, for me, the, the biggest sort of moments of success have been when I was able to, to say no when it wasn't right. And just to sort of stand on my two feet and, and understand uh, who I wanted to be through it all. And I think I got a lot of that through my experience outdoors, like who I am and how I write songs and where I do that. Um, I mean, I've been trying to write off fishing licenses and hunting licenses as a business expense for for a decade and it hasn't always worked out certain accountants i use don't don't seem too amenable to that concept but um for me they're they're like they they're really quite related um i just i feel a lot like you potentially i'm i'm really good at music and writing songs um and i've had a world tell me that i'm good enough at it to make a living at it um but I also feel like I'm just missing a little bit of the genetic material to be a great hunter, just like you said about music. <laughs> well, I think – so when you talk about sort of this – it's a parallel, but it's a, it's sort of a transition too between being an over-the-road musician, a career musician, and then having to go – I know because I know you fish a lot too, but having yeah. to fish – and having to hunt is it like is your time in a tree stand up there in canada is like is that your time to just go okay this is just i'm just here i have time to think about these ideas i have think, time to think about the logistics of my life and my business and it just allows you that that headspace to to sort of square away your life in a, in a in a way you feel good about when when my life and business is stressful i tend to spend time thinking about it in the stand or in the blind or or whatever um, or in the woods, just walking around. Um, but when things are good, when I'm, when I feel like, uh, grounded and solid, I, I, I can be in a stand for a long time and not really think of anything. Um, and that's the reason I keep going back because I let go of all that stuff. You know, I'm, I'm able to just, it's, it is a place where, uh, I can become consumed with what's going on around me. Um, my third, second year bow hunting, I had a, I went out for a morning sit and I, and I had a great horned owl try to land on the rail of my ladder stand. And it just about made me shit my pants, you know, just like experiences like that, fully aware of what was going on. Um, to me, that was like a very successful morning. It, it saw me at the last second. I like moved my head. I shook my head a little bit and then, this thing like put on the landing gear and then moved to the tree next to me and just spent the next hour just staring at me, wondering what the hell I was, you know, it was like those types of experiences are, are, are what have kept me coming back and, and kept me sort of figuring out ways to pay attention. I really actually hate when I'm hunting and I'm thinking about other stuff. I really, I really don't like it. Uh, so this is going to be, this is going to sound weird, but you know, you mentioned before, the the things that go into creating content around hunting that aren't at the forefront, you know, so the the products you got to use and and blah blah blah. But what's coming out of it? The photography aspect. And so for me, when I when I used to go sit in a tree stand, it was what you're talking about, where it was sort of this just singularity of focus, just be in the moment, 
enjoy it. Don't worry about other, all of life's bullshit. But when that becomes your job, that part is greatly diminished. And so what I do, I find myself doing a lot is when I, I like, I only have so much in the tank every day to write stuff and, and, and to be creative. I mean, you know how that goes. So like, absolutely. So what I do to reset is out, especially in the day when, when my family's out, like if my wife's working, the girls are at school, they're at daycare or they're playing with the neighbors is I'll go upstairs and I'll fire up my electric guitar and I'll just mindlessly play for like 20, 30 minutes. And there's nothing else. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not doing, it's just like, I'm just enjoying this moment. And it sort of sets me back, like resets me to go, okay, now go finish this or send out this expense report or, or deal with the tedium. And so it's kind of like you, you and I have lived like mirrored lives in some ways. For sure. Yeah. I long for that when that happens, when I pick up a guitar, like I, I remember that feeling it happens on stage. Um, you know, when, when the show is good, I lose track of time and space. And that, that, that becomes like a real, I, I become a conduit of something. I believe that, um, I become completely honest with them and, and, and the audience with me, you know, that happens. I mean, I imagine that happens in sort of the moment of truth for you. When, when an animal's coming in, you probably become laser focused and forget about all that stuff. Even if that only takes 10 minutes or whatever, man, I wish I try. So <laughs> yeah. my, my fear, my fear is grounded in what we're all grounded in as far. Like when it, when I have a bull elk or a big white tail or whatever coming in, my, I, what I try to do, and I've talked about this a lot is I try to get myself into a position where I think if that was a target, you'd never miss it. So, right, so, you, you know, like I, I have to do that because if I get, if, if something comes in and sneaks into my head in that moment and I start thinking like, don't blow this, like not only, not only do you want this, this just to like tie a bow on this hunt, but you want the meat, you, I need a certain amount of animals just to produce content around. Like I've, yeah, I've got all sure. these things weighing in and if, if those things creep in too heavy, then I lose my mind and it sucks. So I have to like intentionally compartmentalize everything. And I'm not like, I am not a hundred percent on it. Like there, there are times where something will be coming in and I will just lose it and rush it panic. You know, if it's, if it's like a nice, you know, calm feeding deer going through or something, I'm pretty good now because I've been there and done that. But if it's like a buck runs in during the rut or, you know, you call in an elk or something, I, I, I hope my mind goes where it needs to, but like, there's no guarantees. I mean, you talk a lot on your podcast about the, the sort of the weight that experience has um, in those types of situations and realizing that you have the ability to mess that up also comes from experience. I don't have that hunting. I have that on stage. I've made every mistake on stage that you can possibly imagine i've fallen uh i've broken guitars by accident uh you know i've done everything that that and i've and i've recovered from most of those things some i haven't and some have been at moments of of crucial importance like uh neil young's managers out there tonight watching you play and then i just shit the bed you know what i mean <laughs> and it's to me that's the same as like missing a bull elk at 20 yards or whatever with a bow something like that um and then I've also had those moments where a difficult situation comes in and I've managed to make something out of that situation that should have never, should have never been successful. 
And the same thing happens with, with really great experienced hunters from everything I've watched. Like they can, they can sometimes massage a situation or find a better shot or not screw it up. And you, you talk a lot as well about just like wait, watching this thing unfold and like waiting for your opportunity and how like novice hunters like myself probably rush situations. And I, I see it on stage all the time. You know, I, I see a lot of parallels, um, in those moments where, you know, you, music is interesting. You spend most of your time on a computer, uh, you know, trying to get shows, trying to talk to your agent, to your manager, trying to make a business plan, trying to create content, videos, uh, you know, meet all the interviews, all the stuff. We just do all this stuff. And the real thing we want to do is play for people. And the amount of time we actually get to do that is minimal compared yeah. to the amount of driving and travel and, um, and recording music as well is like the greatest thing that we do. Like every, if you talk to any musician who's gotten to spend time in the studio, it, it is, it is like the greatest thing we get to do. It's, it's, I don't know. I, I there's better, like better it. than performing live. Uh, usually performing live, there's so many variables that night to night, if you're doing a hundred shows a year, you could probably pick out 20 of those that are perfect that you couldn't imagine that nothing is better. But the studio is consistently good. The studio is like a place of consistent creativity and everyone goes there for the same reasons. There are frustrating moments in the studio. Obviously, people have, people have expressed that through the years. Uh, but for the most part, when you're in control of the situation, you're not like beholden to a giant record company. Um, I've been in some of those situations where I've, I've sort of been pushed to do things, sound certain ways I don't want to sound. And, and, and those are awful. But those happen live too. The, the amount of criticism that that a musician can receive is 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 great. Um, and so, yeah. But for the most part, those two worlds are like essential. And playing live is completely uh, different every night. It's not predictable. Uh, to be good at it, you have to sort of figure out how to adapt and read an audience, read a situation. And uh, I, I listen to a lot of stand-up comedy just because they're really good at at reading audiences and, and playing off them, and that's something that live musicians are are good at. And I think we have a lot to learn from comedians, you know. Yeah, yeah, they they got to think on their feet. So when you when you talk about every mistake you've made on stage, does it is that something that that bleeds into your life? So you so you have to learn to deal with, you know. You know, amps that aren't functioning well, or a broken string, or you just oh, you you blow a chord you've played a hundred million times in your life at yeah. the wrong moment. Does it? And but and your job is just to get past it. Like you, that's that's that exists, and that that like level of variability day to day is always going to be there. And sometimes it's going to break your way, and sometimes it's going to break the other way. But you have to deal with it, and move on. Does that bleed into your hunting and your life? Does it bleed into being a father to just learn like? the shit's going to hit the fan sometimes. And I just, I like professionally, you have to move past it, even if it's like right in the moment and terribly embarrassing. Uh, absolutely. I mean, there, there are moments when I, I'm outside and I don't really, I'm not really taking stock of what's going on. I'm not asking why, like, like you guys encourage people to ask why I'm, my first season bow hunting. I remember watching a bachelor group come out at 80 yards and I was almost every night I went out, and I was like, why aren't they coming closer to me? 
I didn't think, why should I, why shouldn't I get closer to them? I just, it didn't dawn on me, you know, and it was like, uh, finally I started getting closer to them and then I screwed it up, but I, I started realizing that I could adapt the same way I adapt on stage. It's like, I need to like look at the situation and not go asking why to get an answer, but to maybe get some better questions. I had a lot of uh, important people in my life tell me, don't, don't, don't ask questions to get answers. Like that's sort of, you talk, uh, you always bring up false gods on your podcast. And I was like, I'd, I'd love to hear you talk more about that because, because I, I feel like, uh, I'm very interested in the concept. And I think, I think it stems from this idea that we're always looking for answers and not just easy answers, sometimes easy answers, but we can, we can't go out into the field or onto the stage and, and expect everything to be given to us or everything to be understood. Um, but when I come back from the woods or from a tour with some better questions, I think it really does make me into a better hunter and a better person or a better musician or whatever. Just to try and think of myself as someone who's never really done growing. I don't want to be too spiritual or, or namby-pamby about it, but I don't know. That's what keeps me uh, eternally obsessed with with pursuing big game animals because uh, I've fail all the time um but i also feel like it's put me into a posture of learning like not many things in my life have except for maybe being a father um it just it just puts me in my place it keeps putting me in my place and says you're not as good as you think you are you're not as big as you think you are you don't know shit and those types of feelings more and more kind of get me off you know, like they really are important to me and, and something that I am looking for on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, that's, that's challenge, man. Like that's, that's looking for something that I think that is the missing piece to a lot of our lives right now is we just, we really do have it pretty easy. So we kind of seek out drama and, you know, not to say there aren't bad situations out there and reasons to be pissed off, but I'm saying in general, we have it pretty good. A lot of us do. And so it's easy to try to seek out some excitement somewhere and you can, <laughs> there's a lot of different ways you can do that. And I think that's yeah. why people, I, I sort of think that's one of the reasons why this public land bow hunting thing is burning so hot right now is it's sort of a counterculture movement that's taken on and now it's popular, but there's just, it's like, this is something with a really low success rate. You're going to fail almost every time you go. And it's something that you, you just know, even if you don't acknowledge it, like you just did, when you get into it, you're not going to master this shit. Like you think, you think the hunting public guys out there are going to be masters of public land hunting yeah. in 20 years. They're not going to be, they're still going to be screwing up. Like it's just, it's, it's the same thing with, with playing music or I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm super interested in people who have these just talents that you just don't see coming. And it's always like what you relate to, right? So like I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by your story because I love music and I love guitars. I also do, you know, I'm also a writer and I, I do photography for my job and I'm a hack photographer. And there's a, there's a picture I saw like a year ago as past guest, uh, Nicole Belke posted it and she's a really good photographer. 
And she posted this picture of her dog, her lab, retrieving in the water. And I have shot 5,000 pictures of labs retrieving in the water. Legitimately, like probably no joke. I'm probably undershooting that number. And I have never once thought about shooting a photo the way she did. And I swear to God, I think about that picture like four times a day because – when she until she posted it, I didn't know that could exist. And then I see somebody just looked at that different who has an eye for this and the talent. And I go, son of a bitch, like you're never going to get there, man. Or like when you sit there and I'm, I'm sure you've got musicians you look at and you go, how, <laughs> how does that person even freaking exist? Yeah. And I like I gravitate from when I'm at my worst. I really find myself disliking them because they're so good. And that's like, that's a weak man or a weak person that, <laughs> and I mean, I, I, uh, like in, in, and sometimes it will make me not be able to listen to them because, because of their talent, or I will just find something about what they do that I can try and dislike. Um, give me an make example. Myself feel <laughs> no way. Come on. Do you- <laughs> so, uh, like, uh, Okay, so like I'll give you an example that's safe because I don't want to like burn anybody who who will probably end up helping me in my career one day, you know. But <laughs> this is all just self-serving stuff, folks. I hope you understand that. No, um, there's a lot of people who love the Eagles. Okay, it's like famous rock and roll band, and um, I've never really liked them. And I had a, you know, it, it's the same with with uh, with everything. If if you meet somebody who you respect who likes a band and you can start to listen to that band through their ears a little bit. It's just like if a non hunter met a hunter and fell in love with them, they would start to see hunting differently. It's just how it works. Any example, if I hated baseball and I married a baseball player, I'd probably start to like baseball after a while. It's just natural. So I have a, a player in the band who admitted to the band that he liked the Eagles and the band was like, Whoa, this isn't going to work for Dell. <laughs> and, uh, and, Every single member in the Eagles is far exceeds my talents as a musician, right? They're just, they're complete monsters. They're amazing singers. Um, I find their music cheesy. I find the lyrics, uh, you know, but I would, I would focus on the things that, that I didn't like about the band to justify lulling them. And I don't, I just don't want to be that person anymore. Yeah. Um, and and I think it applies in, in uh, it applies to hunting specifically because it's so easy to be critical of of the way certain people hunt, uh, the way they post about their hunts on Instagram. Um, I, for instance, if I post about hunting on Instagram, I lose followers immediately. Like, yeah, uh, and so I. And I also get a lot of messages of congratulations and um, really beautiful connections with people too. So it's like these two things happen. So I have to be very careful about it because I don't really, I don't really want to, to to not have a career because I hunt. Like, and it also puts no pressure on me to to post about that part of my life. And that is a pretty freeing thing because everything else I'm expected to create content around. Yeah. As a musician, this is like a lifestyle brand. They want to know that I'm like. Oh, I, I, I live rurally and it's all this just, it's romantic bullshit, for instance, you know, but in terms of criticism of, of musicians, like there are certain guitar players that I cannot be as good as. I just don't have it. Um, and I need to be able to marvel at their skill 
and learn from them as much as I can. And also feel good about the things that I contribute to music at the same time. Yeah. Um, that's when I'm at my best. Uh, I don't know. It's like here, uh, deer hunting. Uh, we don't have a lot of pressure as far as I could tell. I mean, just by the way you, you folks talk about pressured deer. I don't experience that. They get pressured in the rifle season. Everybody hunts from the road. Um, I make fun of the, I live in the town of Inglis, Manitoba, and I make fun of the Inglis Truck Hunters Society. It's like this fake society of hunters that just get together with their trucks and drive around. But they're all relatively successful, and, and they do some some deer drives and stuff, and it's something that I was never interested in. I came to, like, big game hunting later in life, like, in my late 20s, and uh, that style of hunting never attracted me, and I didn't really know there was another one. Uh, I had no concept of it. But just this, the idea that there is a diversity of experiences in the hunting world that are equally valid. Um, and there are things to learn from all those people, you know. Mm-hmm. Like when I started paying attention to, to uh, smallmouth bass anglers, like really good smallmouth anglers, because I never really fished smallmouth, uh, I learned a lot more about how to fly fish for trout. Like I just, those examples are true in everything in life and having that posture of humility and learning it's like hard to have on a consistent basis but that's sort of the thing that that makes me better at my job and that's the sort of one posture that i would like to promote in this world you know yeah well that you said a lot there buddy and that that notion of just just to touch on the smallmouth thing when you and and relate it to trout and smallmouth fishing relates really well to walleye fishing. I know you do that too because they they live yeah. in the same places a lot of times, feed on the same stuff. But the diversity of experience lifts you up in everything. And I, I'm trying to get that message across. When you know, like I, I talk to Kenyon about this sometimes. When you he's he's like a whitetail guy. You know, he might mess around with turkeys. He might go out west and hunt something else. But it's whitetails, whitetails, whitetails. And I'm like, brother, if you want to learn how to be a really good whitetail hunter, hunt everything. Go spot and stock mule deer, spend some time chasing rabbits around in February, build your experience level in there and you'll become better all around. And and we don't sell that notion right now. We sell like, here's how you become the expert at this pursuit. And we we don't muddy the waters any. We're like, we're going to take you from point A to point B. But I don't think that's how it works. I think you become better. I, I think there are different paths to become better. And that one of them that you'll enjoy the most is some diversity. Um, I want to back up a second because I, too, don't like the Eagles. Um, not <laughs> <laughs> And there, there's a couple. Oh, re- man, I'm, I'm falling in love. A couple good. reasons for that. Uh, the ones you mentioned. But I will say this about your attitude toward that. I'm at a, I'm at a similar place in my life. I used to be a huge music snob. You know, I, I grew up in a little tiny dairy farming community in southeastern Minnesota. Everybody loved the popular country, and I just didn't. And I still really don't. Um, yeah. But I used to be like an asshole about it. And yeah. the, the Eagles, the same thing. I'm like, uh, I just don't – not my thing at all. But my father-in-law is a huge music geek, loves the blues. Just He's reading books constantly on music, and he's buying – he he buys music all the time. Anyway, he gives me books, you know, like Santana's book and whoever's book. And I've, I've read a ton of 
uh, like biographies on, you know, 60s and 70s musicians, because that's kind of his thing. And he gave me Don Felder's book from the Eagles. And I was yeah. like, man, I don't, I don't care about reading this, but I hit, a, I, I read all the time and I hit a moment in my life where I'm like, I'm looking at it on my nightstand. I'm like, I got nothing else to read. And I read it and, you know, it's, it's from Felder's perspective, obviously. And so he's talking about Glenn Fry and how much of an asshole he is and, and Don yeah. Henley and how he's flying in supermodels because the chicks wherever he's at aren't hot enough for him to bang and blah, 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 you know, and he's, he's making them sound pretty, pretty wild and destructive. Joel Walsh, same thing, but it gives you what it gave me was like, you know, he grew up in a little tiny shitty house in Florida and he talks about his influence. He talks about some of the people he knew younger who really helped him out, like Tom Petty. And it, it really brought into focus, like, this is, regardless of whether the end product is doesn't appeal to me, this guy worked his ass off to get there. And he took something he had a natural talent on, and he worked so hard to get to the point where he's a guy who can freaking write Hotel California, like... That's, I mean, it's a hit, right? Yeah. I mean, even if you don't like it, because I've been thinking about this a lot with like my, if, if we were in a truck together and you put on Luke Bryan, I would want to shove a screwdriver into my eardrum. It doesn't work for me, but that I don't like, I want people if they enjoy it to love that. You know what I mean? Like there's a place for it. I'm at that point now in my life. I always think about it. Like this is going to sound really dumb, but we are just wired for different stuff and we have to accept that instead of trying to shit on people or be, be negative about it. And I always think like, I'm not a picky eater at all, but I freaking hate coconut, anything, coconut flavor, anything. And that's just the way I was made. And so it would be like so dumb for me to be mad at people who like to eat coconut. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so, it's so petty, but it's a hard, that's, that's the way the world's getting. Like, you know, we're, we've given people the option, the the voice to do that. So yes, like we're hearing that, but when you interact with people in real life, not through social media, not through YouTube comments that like, you know, that that's not, it, that's not like a consistent way for us to communicate in person. It's just in this bullshit medium where you can get away with it and it doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I want to circle back to this concept of experience uh just this sort of meta concept that that keeps getting brought up on on hunting podcasts like yours uh i i really like the reason it's so attractive to me especially in hunting is that it's something i can't just have and i think that's part of the reason why hunting public land is is popular is because Basically, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if you live in the United States of America and some parts of Canada, you can get almost anything you want. Like, you, And sometimes you could even get it delivered within 12 hours. Like, You want a specific cut of meat, you want, you want a specific record, book, you can just have it. And you can't just, you can't just have the experience of, of a mature whitetail walking in to where you're at. Like, maybe you get it because you're lucky or something but that that's the reason why hunting is so attractive to me because i i kind of grew up in a world where all that stuff started to became available i could get whatever i wanted at whatever time of day and i lived in chicago for a little while in my when i was in university and and it was the first time i experienced a 24-hour like uh grocery store it was like i can go and pick up ingredients 
at 1 a.m. This is nuts. Like, and that whole, that whole world has kind of exploded. Like, I can shop all night on my phone. Like, if I want, um, those experiences that we can't just have, man, I think they're just becoming more and more valuable to people. And I, I think we're seeing it. Like, I, I don't know. Um, at least in Manitoba, we're seeing hunting numbers go up, like license sales have gone up for the past five years. And that's the first five year increase there's been in 20 or something. So I don't know. It's pretty cool. Pretty exciting. I think, I think that's a reflection. I think, I think the, the, the increasing license sales there is a reflection, even though it might be sort of a microcosm there, but of people looking for that looking for what's what's the opposite of what I have mostly in my life. Yeah. And I, I think I think we do this in society where we arc between these things and we we think we want the easy stuff. Like we think we want to just, you know, go to YouTube and all of a sudden I'm going to be able to play guitar after this video. But what we really want in, in like evolutionary what we want in our brains is to take on long-term challenges and overcome them in steps and work toward goals and have something and, and hunting fishing to, to an extent too, but hunting is a, is like a very uh, open to everyone possibility there. I mean, I mean, maybe not everyone, you know, if you live in a huge city, you might not have the option, but it's even then you could probably argue that you could. And so it's one of the paths we have to just, push a little bit back on the the 24-hour supermarkets like you're talking about and the Amazon shopping and the instant gratification and watch anything you want and do anything you want and never have boredom in your life. I, th- I think that's the reason people are going that way. I hope so. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm excited about, about it all, about seeing people want to get outside and, and uh, really have a hard time. There's a lot of folks around here who end up complaining about, seeing more hunters and uh, I just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, It just tells me they don't maybe really like hunting. I don't know. Like all of that sort of, when you find yourself criticizing your, the criticism of whatever, uh, whatever aspect of life, if, if, if that's starting to get in the way of, of the thing that you say you love, you probably don't really love it. And I don't know. I'm also seeing older hunters, uh, fall in love with it again on a different level. Um, I had a three seasons, three seasons ago in rifle. I got a, my neighbor to crawl on his, on his elbows and ankles to try and get a shot at a whitetail. And he said, I haven't crawled on my elbows and ankles since I was 16, you know, and it, it fired him up, man. And I was like, cause I'm not a good hunter, but I, I love the, the journey and I like trying to get places where people haven't been in a while, really sticky, shitty places in the bush that are a really great home for a lot of critters. I just, that's like where I get excited. And, um, I probably don't have as many opportunities at, at killing stuff because I'm just like right there sometimes, or I'm just not good enough yet at figuring that out. That's all possible. But, um, trying to figure out why I hunt, like what about these situations gives me joy, makes me a better person. Like I'm, I want to be constantly sort of pursuing that inner perspective on, on why I'm here. 
why I'm spending all my time away from my kid doing this. And is that going to make me a better dad or not? Like all those questions, like you can ask yourself why uh, there's a rub line in this particular place and, and where the bedding area is and all these questions and trying to dissect situations hunting. And that, that why is essential to success. If you're talking about successes in killing an animal, I'm sure. Um, and you know way more about this than I will ever. Um, but I'm really interested in asking why I'm there in the first place and like what my goals are actually uh, and why. Why, why do I have goals about killing a mature buck or whatever it is? Like, like this year, my goal was to, to try and get a, a mature buck with my bow. I, well, it's been my goal for the past three years, to be honest. But, um, and I, I'm not really sure why my, why I made that my goal. And, and it's been troubling me a little bit, you know, and maybe it's troubled me because I've had, I've had really early success this season hunting. Um, and I feel a little bit ripped off that I'm not sort of obsessing about how I'm going to make this happen because I realized I loved my last two seasons of bow hunting because I was completely focused on it and failed like thoroughly and screwed it up. And, and I didn't get to have those experiences this year. Um, and part of the reason I didn't have those experiences because I did a lot of work in the summer trying to figure out how the hell I'm going to do this. Um, but I realized part of what I love about hunting is that suffering, that self-doubt. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but I, but I just like, I want to be like dealing with that, the, the, the inner thoughts in, in, in my life outdoors. I just, for me, that's like, that's the whole deal. So, so you know why that is, you know, why you're at this, this mental existential crisis with your deer season? Please tell me. Because it wasn't about killing a mature buck. Yeah. That we we frame it that way and go that's the that's how I want this to end and there are a lot of people who that that is it you know you brought up the the truck hunters up there in Manitoba believe me the the road hunters they're everywhere I when, I, sure. I always laugh when people say oh my state has better hunters than the other state I'm like man I've been all over the place. 80% yep. of the people would be super happy to shoot their deer, their antelope or whatever in the ditch. Like that's, if you're saying you're, you're just wrong. If you think you have the best hunters probably, but what, what's going on there with you probably is if you, you know, before you shot that, that really nice buck up there, you probably would have said, man, you know, I've been working my ass off. This is what I want. And that's going to make me super happy. Then you achieved it and you go, well, yeah. shit. now the grass isn't that green over here. I actually wish I could no. keep hunting. And that's, that is a weird place to be. That's, I have, I have those problems. My wife brings that up a lot with me. Like you are never happy. Like you're always looking for that next thing. And it's part of the reason why I've structured my life with this public land stuff the way I have, because I'm always going to new places. That thing that you're talking about that, that went away as soon as you made that good shot on that buck, that doesn't go away for me because next week's somewhere else. And it's like, a sneaky little way to stave off that unsettling feeling mm -hmm. that you got what you wanted and it wasn't enough. Yeah. And I, and I also like it affirmed to me on a positive side that I actually really do love hunting. Cause like I had some moments last year where I was like, I'm not successful. Uh, I'm starting to get some tension at home because I'm, you know, everyone's experienced this. 
because I really like I I really want to succeed at this what I thought success was but within the first three days of the season I'm done and in my zone I only get one tag um so now what but I was like no I really love the hunting part like the killing part is kind of whatever to me like and I made it happen and and I could have failed at it and and it all sort of was I felt like it was a gift because it because it was like a pretty uh easy relatively easy shot and and um you know I'm new to archery and all that stuff could have went another way you know I could have had to I could have wounded it I could have I could have had a bad experience like everybody has once in their life but I keep hearing but it all it all went perfectly and I was like man I didn't really want it to go perfectly and I you know I I didn't realize that that was at play um and that was sort of a revelation and and to try and see the positive side of that it was like no, I actually really love being out there. Um, and then I also realized in the last few weeks that I can still be out there. Um, and so I've been starting to like get my ass out in the morning and just sit and watch instead of, it's not the same because there's not, it doesn't seem like there's a, the same amount at stake, but there's also less pressure for me to screw up so I can push in a little bit further and blow up deer and, and I get to see a lot more than maybe I would if I was trying to kill something. Is it? Isn't there anything else you could hunt up there? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hunting grouse and ducks and stuff like that. I'm uh, trying to like because since I started archery hunting and and it was the sole focus of my life. And now that I'm tagged out, basically, I have all this time to sort of rekindle my love for birds. Um, I'm going to go on a on a doe hunt about four hours away. I'm going to try. There's like a, a few places in Manitoba where they're trying to control the deer population. So I get to try and do some of that stuff that, that a lot of you guys talk about, like going in, no cameras, trying to read sign. I mean, I'm probably not going to succeed. Um, I'm not thinking that I'm just going to, it's going to be easy. I'm going to go for a weekend, you know, or whatever. Um, but I'm so, it's, I'm so jacked about it. Mm-hmm. It's like my season's not over. And, um, I also have, there's a, a really nice elk herd here locally. And I have this like back burner dream. I don't think I'm good enough yet, but, uh, to, to try and get a, an elk with my bow. And so I'm just keeping tabs on elk. I'm sort of chasing after elk. And I mean, I'm, all these opportunities are, are here. And I moved to rural Manitoba from the city to, to, to do this. Like, um, if, if any of you are out, out there like wishing you could hunt more, you just become a musician because you can structure your life around hunting and still have a career. Like I, I can take off months at a time from the road and still have enough to, to keep going. Like I've, I've, you know, we bought this, this place in this tiny prairie town because of so many of the outdoor opportunities. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm feeling like so much gratitude and gratefulness for my life and where I live. And there are obviously some, some things about this life that make, make it difficult personally, like the amount of time away, but man, um, I really, I really feel lucky to be here and and to, uh, to get a chance to chase after animals in the woods. It's like, it's the greatest. Is that perspective. So you just told everybody to go become musicians as, as if it would be easy. (laughs) Just go pick up a, pick up a drum set, you know? 
uh, get yourself some mics, whatever. Um, but is yeah. this perspective of of gratefulness and just just like okay, I live where we chose to live because of these things I want to do. I'm getting to do them. I'm I'm eyeballing new opportunities and new experiences. Is this partially due to having to pump the brakes through this this pandemic and going from a guy who's whose life was crazy amount of time on the road to now being at home and just going, man, this is like, has it given you a different appreciation for just, just how good life is? I mean, people need to realize that when they shut everything down, it was like, I had just released a record last year. And so I was at, I'm at like peak income earning this in the last year. And so like this was like the biggest few months of income I would have ever gotten in my career. Like it was huge. I was I had a few really big guarantees at some really nice festivals. Not only would they have paid for my mortgage for the year, but I would have also gotten more fans and and it, this whole thing would have gotten a little bit bigger potentially unless I would have screwed it up, but which is possible too. But um you know, so the first few months of isolation, oh man, I took it pretty hard. Like I felt like I was just, I had my job taken away from me and uh, I owed a bunch of people money, you know, like in the industry, like through whatever record labels, all the stuff that I, all the infrastructure I had was, and there's, there their their whole existence is in question too like this is not a joke but for us this is like a really bad situation um but i am not good at being unhappy um i'm a terrible depressed man like i just don't i don't treat anybody well and i and i if i can't shake it i will lose my personal life like my, I, there's no way I could maintain a relationship or a marriage or whatever, be a good dad. And so I just, I just started looking around and seeing like, we're not going to lose our house. Like my wife works. Like people are going to wait to get paid. I'm going to have some bad interest rates for a while. Like realistically, I'm fine. And what am I going to do now with all this time? Um, obviously I needed to pick up some work. So I started farming again and whatever, but I also got to, to sort of lean into all of these things that I've been trying to lean into. Like I don't get to do summer scouting because I'm usually away quite a bit. Um, and usually in the summer I'm focused pretty heavily on fishing, you know, like if I have spare time taking the family fishing or, 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 or fishing Western rivers when I'm touring out West, it's really easy to fish and tour. Like it's easy to steal a morning fishing when you're on the road, you know? So all those things took up my attention, but I got to realize like what I have really close to home. Um, I don't know. I started being like smart, smartening up really quickly, you know, like I, I couldn't believe uh, what I was missing because I refused to look. And so I hope that that I can carry that forward. I hope that we all can. Like, if you spend time worrying about all the things you've lost in life, you're never gonna get past it. And um, yeah, like I, I 
shot the biggest buck of my life with a, with a bow and arrow this year, like 10 minutes from my house. And, uh, never thought that would happen. Never thought there was a buck that big even living there, you know, and I did the work and figured out he was there and I had time to do it. And I was like, you know, still did it satisfy me to an extent. It was, it was one of the greatest moments of my life on a, on a hunting, uh, from the hunting perspective, but there's a lot more going on that mattered. Um, and killing that deer actually reminded me of, of all that stuff too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, man, I was a long winded answer to that question. <laughs> well, the, the takeaway, which I fully wholeheartedly endorse is these circumstances out of your control hit you, hit you at a really, really bad time when it took a lot away from you and you went down the very predictable pity party rabbit hole and, and realize, but listen, man, it's so, this is so relevant to life and hunting and everything. And you realize like being depressed and shitty over this, if it's in your control to get out of it and see the, see the brighter side, look at the good stuff. It's you didn't, you can't control a global pandemic. You can't control the fact that all of the sudden you can't travel anymore and perform and that your income has just been lopped off. So what do you do? Like being, you know, playing the victim mentality or playing the pity party thing doesn't get you anywhere with that. It only makes things worse. And this this has come up on the podcast a lot with just like people, people go into, you know, their elk hunt. Their, their once in a lifetime or their dream elk hunt, they, they, their idea that they fell in love with meets reality out there. And yeah. immediately they go to a dark place or you hunt for three days, work your ass off, don't see anything, don't hear anything. And you go, this is not as easy as it looked. This is not as easy as I made it seem in my head. And you can break one of two ways. You can break and just go, I'm going to keep working and make the most of this, enjoy it. Or I'm going to be pissed off. I'm not going to work as hard. I'm going to, I'm going to hunt angry. And it does not work out. And that is just a parallel to life. Yeah, man. Scary. I I just, yeah, whatever I can do in my life to foster that thing not happening. Uh, I, that That's what I want. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, the morning, the morning I got my, I went out. So I have this amazing piece of land in this valley in Manitoba that I have permission to hunt on. And that was the place in my mind where I was going to get my first archery deer. And I, I, I couldn't figure out how to glass these deer. I couldn't, I couldn't, I just got them on game cameras and my local spot over here, I was glassing this, the one I shot every night I would come out and I would see him, you know? So I was just focused on this, this big six by six in the Valley and went out one morning perfect morning it was actually the same morning I, I shot my deer later in that evening but but that morning i i got in the stand and the wind was wrong and i was like oh i'm screwed like he's never going to come out and i started hearing this crazy noise you know behind me and i thought it was a black bear we got this massive black bear population here and i've had a lot of bad run-ins with black bears in the bush so they don't inspire me all the time that it's going to go the way that i would predict so I usually carry a can of bear spray with me and I realized I forgot it. 
So I started to get a little bit nervous. I'm, I'm in basically right beside an oak tree and the oak, everything. They love those acorns. So I've watched so many blackberries basically just like crawl all over these fir oaks just to get these acorns down. And I just hear this crazy noise and, and it's dark. I'm like an hour and a half before legal. I'm like a keener in the morning. Like I just want to get in the earliest I possible, possibly can just for some possible, if some possibility, something cool, I'm going to get to see something cool. Like I talked about that owl earlier. Um, 10 minutes later, like about half an hour before legal now or whatever, this giant bull elk just comes and stands under my stand. And I've never had an experience like that. And I compare getting to watch this bull elk right before late to like getting my biggest whitetail. And I was like, man, I would take, I would take getting to watch that bull elk come in any day. And like getting a chance to realize that I would never get to realize that if it didn't happen, if I wasn't out, if I, and, and, and if COVID didn't hit, I wouldn't be able to put in that amount of time. And like, those are like, that's like one of my most cherished memories hunting now is just hearing that bull elk rub a tree. Cause I guess that's what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a black bear shaking an oak tree, but it was just this giant bull, like making a ruckus in the dark, you know? And I oh, man, like, I'm never going to get to have that first experience again either, you know, like, and I, I will often worry about people with experience. Like there are a million positives to having the level of experience you have in the field or whoever, Eberhardt, whoever all these famous hunters are, but do they, can they even like, do they even get to remember what that first thing was like? Or, you know, like, it, I feel like pretty lucky to have those memories be so fresh. Like, and, uh, it's something I only get to have once, something I can't buy. And, uh, you know, as much jealousy as I can, at my worst, I can have over the success of certain hunters. Uh, man, like to put myself in that situation and get to experience that and like basically hear an elk breathe on like 10 yards away from me this is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Well, it, I can safely say that you can't, I can't imagine hitting a point with the outdoors in general where the newness isn't there for you to take somehow. So like I, I I talk about this a lot on here when by I'm going to, I'm hunting with Kenyon out in Michigan uh, until the 13th of November. So I'll be home mid November and I will be done mostly done deer hunting by then and i will be taking my dog out and hunting pheasants and you know doing doing other things and going to nebraska to look for prairie chickens and just kind of to go back to what we talked about before maybe if you have one farm and you set it up so it's it's really good and you go out there and you know on halloween those bucks are coming into the food plot to chase does you could have pretty cookie cutter experiences right but when you get out there and do this enough and do enough different stuff out there, there's always a, a, a encounter, a sighting, waiting, like your your bull elk situation. And I talked about this very recently when I was in North Dakota. I had a I had forty nine elk come out at dark below me, just pour out of this drainage right below me, and it was just like amazing i mean it was just incredible to have that many it sounded like a a stampede of cattle 
And yeah, sure. I've done this a lot, man. I've been out there a lot. I've hunted elk. I've, 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 and that to me was that kind of thing where like, that's never happened to me, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and so there's just, it's, it's like, a. I I would never, as somebody who's done this a lot, I would never sit there and look at it and go, that's going to end because it that's in your control. Like you, totally. you, you could hunt the way it's like fishing. You could go to the same spots and fish, yeah. fish the same way, fish the same runs, whatever. And yeah, like you might catch new fish or see new things, but like go fish a new river, <laughs> you know, go fish for totally. something you don't. And then all of a sudden it's wide open again. And that's, I, I, I talk about this fairly often. One of the reasons I'm, I'm very protective of duck hunting is I'm terrible at it. Cause I got, I came to it late. Like I've only been, I've only really been duck hunting maybe like 10 years and I don't know what I'm doing. And so I go out and I suck, but I love every little success. Like I'm, I'm pretty jacked up to kill like a wood duck, you know? And I talk to people who are, you know, really good waterfall hunters and they're like, uh, like <laughs> they, it doesn't, doesn't yeah. comp- they don't comprehend that, but there is, there's always that opportunity to just, there's more, there's always more waiting there for you. Yeah. That's the, that is sort of the most encouraging thing I've heard in a long time. Like, you, the idea that that you can even scratch the surface on experiences with with uh, with the outdoors is it's just not you can't it's completely open you know hopefully as long as we we keep you know designated lands and that sort of thing we don't lose that uh, I don't know I in Manitoba at least what I would love to see is is the ability for for American hunters or you know, foreign residents to come and buy over the counter tags or at least go into a draw and not have to use a guide. Like we, we get the craziest, most intense waterfowl hunters that come from down South and they are so good, like, and completely obsessed and set up and they come to Manitoba and they, they permissions easy to get here and, and they just come and destroy like the, um, like it is nuts. Like the, like, Okay, you have four, you have two hundred snow goose decoys. Okay, I have seven. Okay, and like that, this is their life, you know. And like, I uh, I thought I was a good waterfowl hunter until I started seeing them come here and uh, realizing like I did not know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> I I also like shoot birds that haven't been shot at, and you know, like I I just have that luxury of like hunting hunting ducks and sloughs by myself with like six decoys and. And I'm, they're not shy and they come in and, and, uh, usually I'll miss them with my shotgun, but I usually, you know, we can, it's just easier, but watching people with that level of experience, like I would love to see bow hunters come and figure it, figure it out in Manitoba here. And I think, I don't understand, but I feel like we're missing an opportunity on a conservation level in, in some of the Canadian provinces and some of the states, I'm sure, for not allowing people to come hunt our public lands or private lands or whatever. Uh, I just, I don't really understand it. Yeah, I, I don't either. It's in, like in, we keep it all, we're going to try to keep it all for ourselves. And like that selfish attitude on a conservation, from a conservation perspective is so dumb. Yeah, well, that's, that's a can of worms we've opened many times on here. And I, I feel the same way. I, w- I wish there were more opportunities opening up versus them getting shut down. And it's... You know, I think long run, we're going to all look back and go, oh, we didn't, we didn't do this right. Like we should have, we should have been looking at encouraging more people to come because we need them now and they're not there. And yeah. you know, it might be 20, 30 years down the road, but we will, we will probably hit that crossroads at some point. Uh, buddy, we're just about out of time here. Um, 
Who, who's your favorite guitarist? Top three. Well, I got to say, as a Southpaw, Jimi Hendrix, man. I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure that I don't spend a lot of time listening to Hendrix now, but as like growing up, that was like as influential as you could get for a guitar player. Um, like all the licks, but also the tone and the feeling behind it. There's more than being able to play fast um, and how you sound and what you're saying when you play guitar. I think, I think Hendrix had it all, man. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good pick. I mean, that's, yeah. there's uh, I, I was thinking about this when you, when you said, you, you kind of you didn't you didn't so much as say this as allude to it, but like your life as a musician, it, it makes you be a self promoter, and you yeah. you just have to like, and we see this in the hunting community too. Like you, the people who are really successful are very good at self promotion, and that there's like a natural tendency for that. But a lot of people who get into, I think of like Gary Clark Jr. Oh man, love yeah. him. Yeah, but not a self promoter. So an unreal musician, unreal guitarist, and just not the guy who's out there like, hey, look at me. I'm amazing. And he's made it so far just so much on that raw freaking talent and dedication to the instrument. And it's like, you you know, Hendrix is in a different place because he was the first one to do that. And might, maybe the only person who's ever existed who could do that. But we have the we have the luxury of a whole bunch of time devoted now to just recognizing what that was. And you look at a guy like Gary Clark Jr. You're like, it, you know, fifty years after that guy dies, is are we looking at it the same way? And probably not quite Hendrix because yeah. Hendrix had like the first mover advantage, but just something there that just can't be taught. Like there's something in those guys. That's so freaking incredible. Like wh when I hear stuff like that, it makes me want to just, I, I, I want to pick up golf clubs and never, ever touch a guitar again. Cause it's wild. I actually, I felt, I felt completely humbled. I, I got to see Gary Clark play in Germany. I was on tour in Germany and someone was like, Hey man, Gary Clark Jr.'s uh, playing down the street. And I'm like, well, it's sold out. I'm sure he's like, yeah, it's sold out, but like, let's just go. And like, I mean, the amount of people that sneak into our shows is like, it's all the time. So we're, we're, we, we think maybe we can just weasel in here and, uh, sure enough, talk to the bouncer and then the bouncer's like, Oh, I'll talk to his manager. And then, you know, I'm with an agent and they know someone. And so it's like, we all of a sudden we're there and like backstage with this guy I'm watching from side stage. And I was just like, I had a, I had a couple of his records, heard all this talk about him and then saw him play live. And I was like, this is, this is, you know, one of the best musical experiences that I've ever had. And it made me feel like picking up golf clubs for sure. Like it was, he, it, he blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, and that just doesn't happen a lot. Like I'm at, when I'm on the road, I'm at shows every night. And if it's not my show, I'm going to see a buddy play who's in town or whatever. And that was just like one of these magical things where I was like, this is not fair. And this is exactly why I started doing this is to do this to somebody else at some point, you know? Yeah. That, uh, that level is like, I, I, I think I said this on a podcast recently, but I, uh, you know, I, like I said, I, you know, I listen to music on YouTube all the time and recently um, the Rolling Stones popped up and it was like Wild Horses or Angie or one of their super popular ballads, you know, and I just peeked over and there was like 
5,000 down votes. On yeah. It. And I'm like, who the fuck is downvoting the rolling? Yeah. Like, who's doing it? And so, like, I always think about kind of back to our early conversation, like, if if you saw Gary Clark Jr. play guitar for one minute or play and sing and you were like, that guy's not that good. Like it's just, it, people are out there saying that. And I'm like, do you understand what that guy has? Like, you don't have to like it, but that is like an exceptional human being. That is a, that's a freaking unicorn, man. Like, and I think that's just awesome. Yeah, man. I think people also get their identity from saying they don't like stuff. Yeah. Like, and uh, that's just that's insanity to me. Like, I don't, I can't imagine wanting to be that person who just gets off on naysaying. Well, it's, it's, it comes from unhappiness. All right, who's who's number two then? Who's behind Hendrix? Um, oh, you know, it's a bit of a. It's, I wouldn't say it's just raw guitar talent, but in terms of like lending himself to the song mike campbell like tom petty's guitar player like the hookiest stuff and he wrote a lot of those songs with petty and like to to see the guitar that melodically i mean he's a monster he's a pro um you know i think i think i'm like more and more a fan of 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 how and it sounds like a a, a bad word but those songs are efficient like they know how to get to the point they're not like talking like I do on a podcast where I go and round and round in circles, you know, they, he, he, he knows how to like write a perfect melody, three or four notes and have it come across. And if you're not, if you're if the first time you hear free fall, I'm like, I don't need to hear it again, but you're going to remember that melody for the rest of your life. And to be able to do that, I mean, you can play all the notes in the world. It, it doesn't do much for me. Um, but then for number three, who's probably uh, way more respected as a guitar player, as guitar players like Chet Atkins. Like, yeah. I learn more about how to finger pick from him. Like, that's what I do. I play finger style guitar, uh, alternating bass with my thumb. And uh, some of your listeners are going to be like, what the hell does that mean? Um, it's the same way when you guys talk about, you use all of your terms for, for hunting. I'm like... I think I know what they're talking about, but uh, staging areas, funnels, you know, all this stuff. It's like, yeah, okay, like I get it, but I also probably don't get it. Um, well, let, hold on one second. So let, there's there's a, a a really good parallel there, though, because when you talk about free falling as a perfect example, I've, I've been one of my little girls is learning guitar right now. I'm teaching her, and a band that really resonates with her is Blink One Eighty Two. And, yeah, okay. and so, yeah. and you know, any song out there now, just about, you can go to like ecords.com and you can find the simple, just here's the chords and you can slow it down yeah. and, and you, and you realize like the melody that's involved. And what you also realize is it's easy to look at this and go, okay, it has to be crazy, technically advanced and fast and full to be good. And then you hear simplistic stuff like that, that main riff in in free fallen is so simple that it's yeah. like it's wild anybody if you can play a d chord you can get there and so but it's like beautiful in its simplicity like it it took yeah. something it didn't need anything more and so i get a lot of shit i shouldn't say that i 
I, I get some shit because people, they want that like high level advice in deer hunting. Well, you know, look at your, you know, your aerial photography, pick these spots, go in there with your saddle, only play this wind, only play these conditions, pay attention to the moon. You know, I take one step every three minutes and blah, blah, blah. And this is the route. And I'm sitting here going, I mostly just try to figure out where deer like to walk. And then I go set up there and I shoot them. And I'm not worried about, you know, throwing out scents and decoys and all this stuff. And, and there's more to it than that, but it can really be that simple and it can be beautifully productive without unnecessary complications. There is something about making things accessible that has attracted me to certain types of music. Um, when things are too accessible, I think they border on what we were talking about on the Luke Bryant and where it's cookie cutter. Uh, there's not a lot to sink your teeth into. Uh, we don't know why it's on the radio. Those questions are in our mind. It's like where you go to the other end and it becomes jazz and it's almost impossible for someone to listen to it and understand it or it becomes work to listen to it. Uh, because you need an encyclopedia or history to understand why this person started playing this particular way. And I think the same is true in hunting and uh, from the amount of outdoor media that I consume. Um, I start to get tired of the prescriptive types of uh, hunting advice. And I end up wanting to look more for sort of like that, that accessibility and the story behind why this works for this type of person. And uh, I really got to compliment you on your podcast because I just, I feel like you're not afraid to have a diversity of voices about more than just hunting. There's something else going on. You actually have women on your podcast, which is mind blowingly. Uh, like there are very few that, that have, they have like one every season or something, but you just have a diversity of voices on your show. And, and I just think that like, uh, I think if hunting's going to get better, if we're going to, you know, get more people in the woods, we're going to need to realize that everybody can do it and, and everybody might find some joy and become better people if they get their ass outside. Yeah. Well, that, the, the women thing, I've talked about that a few times on here. And I, I always, when I talk about it, I relate it to guitars because people ask me to teach them guitar. And yeah. teaching men is a nightmare because they come into it with the ego and they want to jump so far ahead. And women are generally like, give me the pieces, teach me the chords, teach me what, what are the like, what's the foundational work and I'll get so there. Funny. It, but it's so, it's true, right? And I've taught, yeah, I've taught a lot of people how to fly cast. Same thing. And generally speaking, teaching guys how to fly cast is, it sucks. Um, women, uh, who don't think that they're just going to be able to muscle themselves into a cast. You have to realize there's something more. They just seem to get it faster. Yeah. At least that's been my experience. And that I don't want to patronize women because that's sort of like I'm on, I'm on the border of doing that. But um, I really feel like that perspective is necessary in this, in this world, in this space. Yeah, I do too. And I, I think it's just, I I've been thinking about this a lot and the thing that scares me about some of the stuff I see out there, especially social media, is I see some of the women I know trying to, it looks like they're trying to compete with the guys. And I'm like, please don't. 
Like you don't have to be a badass. Like it's actually better if you're learning and you're failing because we all are. And I, I keep thinking about this for for this podcast and my content because I'm in a, I'm in a weird place now where I'm kind of giving up some of my writing gigs because I'm just done with certain things and I want to move on to other stuff. And I I really want to make the focus from here on out to some extent just honesty. Like I, I want to be in a position to show all of the failure and have other people talk about their failures and their struggles because it's so much more relatable than somebody who comes on who's killed 15 booners, you know, and has this formula down that's unrelatable and doesn't, it just doesn't work anymore. And so I think, and I, and I like, the reason I like having women on is because women are, they seem a little more prone to talk about like, I don't know what the hell I was doing. Like I, and that came from my dog podcast where I would, I'd have like an established dog trainer who's been doing this for 40 years. And they're like, point A to B, here's how you train a dog to do this. Here's how you train a dog to do that. And I've, I've done this. I developed this system. I blah, blah, blah. And then I would have women on and they would say, I screwed up this dog and I knew it. And so I had to learn from that. And I'm going, that lesson is more valuable than somebody saying, here is exactly how you do this. Because once again, you know, you're dealing with an individual and animal, individual handler, and a, a litany of circumstances that can't possibly be contained in in blanket advice, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, man. I feel like I I have a nose for when people are trying to like sell me something, even if it's their own their own personal sort of like uh Instagram heroics, Instagram heroics or whatever, like if you're actually interested in like having a conversation because you love this thing, then that's, that's, I mean, sincerity, honesty. It's like, that's the thing we look for in, in music. That's how we judge whether or not we like something. Um, and everyone says like, don't this idea of like, don't, don't judge me or whatever. It's like, that's bullshit. Like judge me well, like they take a minute and judge me accurately. And, and um, but if, if there's pretense or if I, if I deem somebody, I mean, I'm not, I might not always be right about my judgments and I need to be a person who can admit that I'm, that I've judged something incorrectly. Um, you know, but I am not, I'm so tired of, of, uh, in every industry, people coming on and just trying to push whatever there, whatever there is they're pushing. And, and, um, I think we're in a place now where people are, people don't like it. And, and I think there's more space for like, real conversations about all this stuff i mean it happens in music all the time where we just get people just trying to sell their record and um it's not interesting yeah the people that are super successful like the bob dylan's and the tom petty's they don't have to worry about that so we got the sincere sincere version from them over and over again you know yep um we get to be that way now because of because of all this technology you know we 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 get to be straight up with people about our, our failures and about what we really want from life. And if, you know, if that's in the hunting space or the art space or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're seeing, and this has probably been the case forever. Like this was probably happening with Buddy Holly in the fifties. Like, but what you're seeing is a new world for you. You could be, you as a talented musician could reach people in a way and make money for yourself in a way that never existed 10 years ago or 20 years or 30 years ago. And you're seeing big commercial, uh, 
issues with that as far as like it used to be the people who were writing the checks and giving you the promotion could say hey this dude's super popular we want you to be more like him or you know prince played this way on stage so you better you better lean into this that that commercialization side of it is bumping up against the the individual autonomy you have as an artist now we're seeing the same thing in the hunting industry. It used to be there was only so many ways for the information to get out. It was generally outdoor television and magazines. And yeah. so if you were going to advertise, you could buy into one or the other or both and put your thumb on the content and say, we need X amount of seconds on our logo here and we need coverage in this buyer's guide. And that control has spun out a little bit. And so now you've got People like Steve Ranella and Mediator and Randy Newberg, who took a different path, and there's still, you know, like there's commercial aspects to it, but they said we don't have to do this w- this way, and we can make money out here without you. And so now you see some companies still trying to push that and go, nope. If we spend with you, this is how it goes. And other companies are going, you know what? We want to be a part of it, so let's partner up. Instead of, Mm -hmm. you know, me telling you, you telling me, and let's make content that resonates. And if we're along for the ride, people are going to, a certain amount of that audience is going to go, that, that company seems legit. I'm going to buy. And everybody, everybody wins through that. We're in this weird transitory period with that stuff. Yeah. I was in a part of my career eight years ago now when I would come off stage and, and my manager and label would criticize what I was wearing. And I was like, and I was listening to them. <laughs> it was like, oh, fuck me. Like, this is not the way to operate. Uh, it, and it, it took me a long time to realize that they didn't understand who I was. Like, they didn't get my music. They just saw me as a way to, to make a move uh, in their own careers. I was definitely just this little piece. for the, it, it wasn't like, we, we didn't have the same goals. It was just so obvious. And it, I just hung on to that for so long. And man, it was a dark period. You know, it was, it was something that I needed a divorce from. I didn't realize I was in this toxic relationship. Um, and finally it just, and they ended up leaving me. Um, cause I thought I needed them. As soon as I lost them, things got way better. Mm-hmm. It's just one of these classic stories. Well, there, and my life got better. Of course. And what they're saying to you without saying it is you can't do this the way you want. You have to listen. We know better. And we've seen time and time again, you know, like you you talk about Hendrix, like there was nobody like him before that. Like maybe you, you could like maybe draw some like Chuck Berry parallels or something. Like there were a few people out there who who've done who've changed it somewhat, but not like that. Nobody did that. And there's, we're seeing those all the time. Like, you know, I've talked about this a ton on here, but I don't know how many people in the outdoor television industry told me for years and years and years and years, you can't have a show without a kill. Got to have a kill on a show. Went from one kill on a show to two kills on a show to three kills on a show. And now, and, and, and there are still people who believe that. And yet, when I talked to Randy Newberg, he said his most popular one, his most popular episodes are when he fails and they don't kill anything. And there's good reasons for that every time because they're good hunters. And so yeah. you just all along in life, people who have a financial interest in you are going to tell you or just have some sort of roadblock in their head. Like I, 
I'm sure this happened with you when you were like, I'm going to be a musician or I'm working on this and it's becoming something more than just like a little pastime. I'm sure people said, listen, man, <laughs> it's time to go to college to be an accountant or something like this isn't yep. going to happen for you. And I, I had people do that with me when I was like, I want to be a, I want to be an outdoor writer. They're like, yeah, my, my dad said like, really not going to happen, dude. Like go yep. to school, do something else. And yeah, may, you know, the, it, there's a risk to everything, but you see these things that are possible by following your own direction and standing up for yourself that, you know, are, are really only valuable in hindsight because you can't know in the moment, but it was the right decision. Yeah. And I mean, who knows? Life could have gone another way. Um, but I'm grateful that for some, like to have, to be able to find that courage at some moment to say, I'm just, I'm going to do this. Um, and I'm going to suffer the consequences, good or bad, you know? And, and, uh, those moments, they, they like determine who we are over and over again. And, and, uh, um, I don't have any regrets. That's for sure. This, this career has been, it's been so good to us. So I'm lucky. <laughs> I love hearing it, buddy. All right, man. Where, where can everybody find your music, website, social, all that good stuff? Um, I haven't had to plug myself in a while. This is funny. Uh, Delbarber.com is the website. It probably hasn't been updated in, since COVID happened. Uh, all of, You can order music everywhere. You can stream it uh, anywhere. Uh, iTunes, Amazon, uh, Spotify, Del Barber. Uh, check it out. Um, and if you like it, um, you know, tell somebody you love about it. And if you don't like it, tell somebody you don't love about it. That's the what, old classic. What, what song would you tell them to search first of yours? Oh man. Uh, well, because this is a, this is an outdoor podcast. I would say, uh, I say check out song off my latest record called lucky prairie stars. There's a line in it about a freezer full of meat that most hunters, uh, if there's the odd hunter at one of my shows, they end up standing up and clapping when they hear that one. So that's the one. All right. Uh, I would say big smoke, but I'll, we'll, we'll go for your. Uh, well, <laughs> you, you have eternally good taste because that's the best song I've written. So I appreciate it. <laughs> my, my little girls love it too, man. So much fun. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. Oh man. Thanks for having me. I uh, really appreciate this show and uh, I'm a fan. So uh, I keep, keep pumping it out, man. We're here for you. All right. Thanks buddy. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening. I can't honestly put into words how much I appreciate anyone taking the time to check into the Hunt for Real podcast. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe so you can get the latest episodes each week as we drop them. You can also find us at huntforreal.com, our YouTube channel where we'll be putting up tips and films throughout the year, as well as through all the usual suspects when it comes to social media. Again, thank you so much for listening.